0: Well, welcome to Inspiring Voice. With all the distractions and the noise in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? Are you able to use your voice to create those healthy human connections so you can thrive in business and in life? I'm Donna in mack the creator of Inspiring Voice and founder of iVoice Communication. We envision a world where everyone has the confidence and the ability to communicate and to connect. And this is the podcast. We begin the Inspiring Voice podcast with audio from the archives, interviews that were conducted between the years 2003 and 2009 when I did a radio show called Vital Women. You know, when I found these and I listened to them just a few weeks back, I realized that their content is just as valuable now as it was then. So I decided to share. So, thanks for listening. Here's the archived interviews and wisdom, some deep wisdom from vital women on the Inspiring Voice Podcast. Now, as you can see, the female producing X chromosome is clearly larger than its counterpart. It's a girl. We are from Venus. Your goal is to do cardio or an aerobic workout at least three days a week. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. When I grow up, I want to be a mother, a ballerina, and a doctor. We are from Venus. And lift. We're almost done. Don't give up now morning, this is Donna Mack, and you're listening to Vital Women on 93.3 Coast FM. We come in all shapes and sizes, from different kinds of backgrounds and ethnic groups, but one thing's for sure, we are better women when we work together to accomplish what we set out to do. And that's the goal of our Vital Women program, to show you the steps women have taken to get to where they are.
1: Now, while the power invested in me, let no man put us under, now. Our blood flows through each other. Loyal forever. Raise our voices. Yaya! Yaya!
0: Yaya! Hello, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I am honored to tell you that we are going to hear from Marianne Williamson. She's an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer. You may have seen and heard her on Larry King Live, Good Morning America, or Oprah. She's published nine books, four of which have been number one New York Times bestsellers. And today we start by discussing her latest publication, The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife. As Marianne Williamson tells us, if you're anywhere between the ages of 30 and 60, midlife is a chapter that's never had more opportunities, but it's up to us to either run with them or not. Please enjoy this edition of Vital Women today. I'm Donna Mack, and here's Marianne Williamson.
1: Well, you know, in A Course in Miracles, it talks about how you can either identify yourself with your body or identify with your spirit. And whatever world you choose to identify with, you are at the effect of the laws that run that world and in the realm of the body as we get older the body begins to disintegrate <laughs> either slowly or quickly etc <clears throat> and it, it can be very tempting obviously to be lured into all kinds of thought forms like over the hill uh, too late for me they won't want me anymore they won't hire me anymore etc but if we identify and if we use this experience as a time to identify more and more with the spirit rather than the body then a whole other array of thought forms impact our lives. Uh, Thought forms like there is no spot, there is no place in time or space where God is not. God specializes in new beginnings. Every winter is followed by spring. Every night is followed by morning. Um, God turns water into wine. Um, And the more we know, the more powerful we are. And I I think with age, sometimes, you know, there are layers of accumulated disappointments that are, are natural. You know, if you've, Live long enough, you've probably had some ups, but you've also probably had some downs. And if you don't know how to process these in a powerful way, they become baggage that caps your possibilities, you know, they tend to cap the possibilities for your happiness and your opportunities once you get into a certain age, you know, around 50, you know, in your 40s, 50s, 60s. So this transformation of our consciousness so that we can hold this experience in a different way is huge. And that's what this book seeks to do, to just deepen that conversation a little and expand it to include all the possibilities for <clears throat> shift, which are the possibilities for miracles that are always available to us.
0: And I, I really do believe that this generation, specifically this generation of women, is, is getting this. I mean, I hear so often, I wouldn't trade my 40s for my 20s for anything.
1: Yeah, but a 40, yeah, I do hear that. But at the same time, as a woman in my 50s, I know that a woman of 40s, doesn't get it yet. She's still gorgeous. In fact, a woman in her 40s is probably finding herself in a way even more beautiful than in her 20s. So it's sort of easy to say when you're still in your 40s because your breasts haven't really started to drop yet. You know, your butts really hasn't gotten too soft yet. So (laughs) it's when you're in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s that you can really declare this. All right. That uh, you know you're making some
0: progress. Oh no! What are you telling us? So is well, there is I there really truly a major transition from forty something to fifty something, physically? I actually, do yeah. I, I actually do? Yeah.
1: Actually, yes. I do think the fiftieth birthday is a big one. Okay. I think that we go through um, something along the line of a second puberty. Mm. You know, one of the one of the impulses for writing this book was a <clears throat> was a a. Uh, A comment made by the author Lydia Bronte in a book called The Longevity Factor. She said that our generation has added 15 years onto our lifespan, but it's not at the end. It's in the middle. And that really fascinated me. There's this idea that there's a new psychological territory um, called midlife. It's when you are no longer young, but you're not old yet either. And that's kind of what I meant about a woman in her 40s. You're still considered a relatively young woman in your 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the the invisible years really start to to um, to set in, like mid 40s, 50, mid 50s, etc.
0: Do you think that's why women at that particular age, you know, finally start making some major decisions in their lives? Like, should I stay with him or should I leave? Or should I, you know, make this career transition, which might be very difficult, but if I don't do it now...
1: That's right. That's mm. exactly the point. That is exactly the point that you get to a certain age where you realize... Whatever it is, if I don't do it now, it's probably not going to happen for me this lifetime. Mm-hmm. You still don't have a deep sense of that in your in your forties, like you do once you turn fifties. It's like the, the you really begin to understand that the the revolving door is not going to come around an infinite number of times in your life. And uh, absolutely, that those are the crunch years. That's I either go for it now, or in this lifetime, I will die not having gone for it. Right. Right. Whatever I- it is, mm-hmm. and we don't even. And then you start doing the deeper excavation, internal excavation, to find out what it is. What is it you've really longed to do your entire life? And um, like you said, and can I do it within the context of this marriage? Am I better off in this marriage? Not. In this job? Not. I mean, it's
0: huge. Mm -hmm. And Marianne Williamson, in your book, The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife, you know, you talk about the fact that, yes, indeed, it just is a natural progression. We slow down physically, but we can rev up psychically
1: we slow down on a physical level and if you look at life only through the eyes of the body that's kind of scary but then part of the transition is realizing at least I know in my life how many mistakes I've made in my life because I was moving too fast and you come to a point of realizing that when you're younger there is this hormonally driven adrenaline that just courses through your veins and makes it very hard to just sit down and And rest within yourself and there's a lot of beauty to that speed of youth but there's also a a shadow which is often uh, a lack of consideration and reflectiveness and a contemplative ability which really does sabotage you because you sometimes don't make your best decisions as you get a little older the adrenaline that adrenaline base starts to burn away and you find it easier to just sit in a chair and think and contemplate and reflect. And that's how you find your wisdom. That's why it's the wiser years, in large part, because you're moving more slowly and thinking more deeply about everything that happens. So, yes, that is the point in the book, that you're slowing down physically but revving up psychically. Because if the real work, the most powerful work, is the work of consciousness, then the fact that you're in a more contemplative place means you're actually getting more powerful, not less.
0: And you can get so much energy from your spirituality, from your connections.
1: It's a different kind of energy,
0: Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Can we talk just a little bit about forgiveness here, Marianne? You know, I think that is so huge in so many people's lives. So many people hold on to the negativity, that anger that surrounds you when you do not forgive. And you spend quite a bit of time in your book, The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife, discussing this.
1: Well, you can't, you know, if there is this age where basically you make a decision, and I think there is, I think you make a decision either consciously or subconsciously. How how am I going to play this? Am I going to make this now a period of renewal and revitalization and rebirth? Or am I just going to go on cruise control and head down the hill towards my eventual death? And if you do make a decision that midlife will not be a time when you resign into doubtiness and just this kind of giving up and this kind of just lower your standards of excellence in every area and go into this kind of like place that is that you know slow decline, if you decide not to do that, if you, if you decide, no, I lay claim to victory here, I lay claim to uplift, I lay claim to these being my best years yet, I lay claim to a second part of life that is more magnificent than anything I could have ever imagined, then one of the things you absolutely must do is forgive because otherwise the unforgiveness we're carrying is just too much baggage the plane can't take off spiritually just can't take off with carrying all that baggage and you know you you start you know you you meet people who who live in bitterness over somebody let's say who left them 20 years before and you, you finally face the fact who is the real culprit here the person who abandoned me and left me 20 years ago or that inside me which still hasn't gotten over it you know somebody might have left you but the real issue of how your life is today is what you learned from the experience. Did you get over it? You know, everybody falls down, and you, you come to an age where you really understand that. Once you reach your 40s, probably, very few people hit their 40s, and I can't imagine anybody hitting their 50s who's never had a real down day, you know, whether it's divorce, bankruptcy, love, addiction, health. I mean, there's so many ways that people can be just sort of thrown to the floor emotionally. The issue in life is not whether or not that ever happened to you. It's happened to everybody. Their story might be different. Their drama might be different, but it's happened. They've been whacked down on the floor, just like you have probably. Mm-hmm. The issue in life, and certainly the issue in the second half of life, is not whether something really painful and disappointing has happened to you. It's whether or not you got back up. It's whether or not you got back up and became even better. You know, I think that my successes in life have in some ways and it sometimes have made me a better person i hope but i think my failures have hopefully made me a better person too mm-hmm. and that, that's really the issue what did you learn um from what you went through and that's re- learning to forgive is a large part of that being willing to surrender all that baggage knowing that the universe will be glad to start again you know the universe will bring mourning when you are ready and willing to give up the night
0: and to possibly even take that baggage and use it to better the world. Because well, they no who? In your baggage. It, well, exactly. Because the best teachers have learned from their, their tough times.
1: Well, a real teacher is a student of life.
0: Mm-hmm. I also loved the chapter in your book where you talk about your mom and the fact that you, you kind of have this newfound respect for the female gender.
1: Yeah, I tell a story in the book about how when I was a young woman and I was sitting around with some girlfriends and we were talking about an unmarried friend of ours who was deciding whether or not to have an abortion. And my mother overheard us and my mother said, aren't you girls old enough to know that there is no such thing as an illegitimate child? And we were like, wow, that's a pretty heavy thing to say. (laughs) And then one of my friends piped up and said to her, yes, but... Mrs. Williamson, there's a question of paternity here. She's not totally sure who the father is. To which my mother responded in a way that stunned us. She said, you girls, your generation thinks you invented sex. When you were growing up, do you think every kid you knew, every child you knew growing up had a daddy who was really their daddy? Oof. In my generation, women knew how to keep their mouths shut. <laughs> We were so stunned because we, you know, I thought of my mother as kind of, you know, know, June Cleaver and leave it to Beaver. I never thought of her as someone carrying deep knowledge of the way life really is. And on that day, I was like, whoa, my mother knows so much more about life than I ever knew. And I think that was really the beginning for me of opening my eyes. I think I grew up in a generation, even in the name of feminism, we had a... Um, A delusion of male superiority.
0: Absolutely. Did your mother work when you were young?
1: Well, I'm now at a point in my life when I realized taking care of a home, taking care of my father, taking care of three children, I realized was more work and more important work than any work.
0: Well, of course, right. But she didn't get your respect initially because, right, and your dad dad did. Absolutely,
1: and I thought he had the important life. Mm -hmm. That whole, you know, the Jungian concept of the father's daughter. And realized that I paid a tremendous psychic price for having done so, and all that's in the book.
0: Right, right. <clears throat> now, you've been a single mom for quite some time, Marianne. Um, can we take just a minute here and talk about your daughter? And I, I, just, I just would like to ask you what you feel as though are the best lessons that you've instilled in her to hopefully make her life better and easier than yours? Because, you know, isn't that the goal, to make the next generation that much stronger, to lift them up?
1: Well, that's one of the goals, certainly i think that when we teach our children about how consciousness operates we're giving them the greatest lessons in power that are possible you know they go to school to learn how to navigate through life intellectually they go to school to learn how to navigate through life materially but i think when we can teach our children how to navigate through life spiritually we are giving them information uh, that will serve them psychologically spiritually and emotionally Um, that's extremely important. And when I think of uh, some of the information that so many of us do have now in terms of how consciousness operates, how forgiveness operates, how faith operates, and how we can use those things in our lives, I think of times when I was younger, which if I had had that information, I I know I could have navigated through life much better.
0: Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And what do you feel as though you've learned from your daughter or from mothering your daughter?
1: Well, I think it has given me a perspective on life. I realized how dumb I was to ever think that that there was anything more important than Mm -hmm. mothering. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that a woman has to have a child in order to have a fulfilled or important life. I'm not saying that at all. But I do believe that our society, for a while at least, became very unbalanced. And we as women fell into this delusion that somehow, quote-unquote, just being a mother wasn't big enough, wasn't important enough. And I think our whole society has paid a terrible
0: psychic price for that. Right, right. You were raised Jewish, but, you know, your work, Marianne, is so Christ-like. And I, I would like to ask you, for you, who is God?
1: Well, first of all, I am a Jew. You're, you're born a Jew, you die a Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christ is, is a word. I believe that all the great religious systems uh, lead to the same place. So there's no I'm a Jew, but I am a Jew. And, you know, the students of A Course in Miracles come from all religions and no religions. And um, I I actually believe that my life as a Jew um, gives me a a foundation and a platform for an understanding of of God, including um, through the uh, knowledge of the Course in Miracles, which is most magnificent, and there's certainly nothing lacking in in the Jewish religion, in in my view. Um, uh, God, the Course in Miracles, talks about the love, a kind of love that one can think of as sort of permeating the universe that is truly all that is um and that that sense of love that is the ultimate reality um was true for me and my understanding of God uh, growing up and and when I became a student of A Course in Miracles just continued my sense of who God is has certainly not changed um as A Course in Miracles student has certainly not changed from the God of my um, understanding as a child
0: well, thank you so much for, for teaching this, uh, this work, which is so, so important. And thank so you. it really, it, it, is, it is beautiful. As we get ready to wrap things up, um, can you tell us about a miracle? Considering your book is called The Age of Miracles, Embracing the New Midlife, I bet you have a story for us, a, a quick story, um, a miracle that you've seen in your lifetime, Marianne Williamson, and why you think it occurred.
1: Well, in A Course in Miracles terms, a miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. So the, the biggest miracle is a miracle in your own understanding. There's a shift in how you understand things. and Because you understand things differently, your life is different. And um, something I talk about in my in my new book, In the Age of Miracles, is how several years ago I, I got a CD by Joni Mitchell. And it's the CD where she is holding. It's a self-portrait, and she's holding a glass of wine in her hand. And I turned on... The CD, I turned on the music, and my first thought listening to her was that Joni Mitchell had lost her voice.
0: Right, that's not her.
1: That's not her, because she used to have this very high voice, very sweet, melodic voice. And now it was this very low, soulful cry. And my first thought, and I went on and on in my head for about five minutes, that Joni Mitchell has lost her voice. And then I realized that the voice she has now for me, was even more fabulous than the voice she used to have. That that which was so pretty and lovely before had turned into this cry of the soul from the center of things. And that had so much meaning for me because I realized that as you get older, you cannot not change. The issue is, will you lose your voice or find your you know, I mean, it, the whole notion here is that all of the seasons are beautiful. Winter is beautiful, and summer is beautiful. Somebody asked me on a radio show, uh, no, it was a teleclass. Someone said, Ms. Williamson, how does it feel having entered the autumn of your life? <laughs> and I thought, well, uh, once I got over the sort of body bloat of that, I, I said, you know, in the summer, in the spring, in the summer, I had many more leaves. I have fewer leaves now, but they're far more colorful. And that understanding that as we age, it's a new season, but not necessarily a worse season, that has been miraculous for me. This notion that you, and that is so much what the book is about, that you have to grieve what is no longer. But as you do allow yourself to grieve what is no longer true, then you open to things. It's, it's subtle, but it's immense. The realization that you have entered a new room, but that new room does not have to be worse. It's just different. And you get to exercise all the mastery, that you've gained from the seasons before. So I think we've entered a new room, and it's—it's that of itself is a miracle.
0: And I think if we take just a little time and see the magnificent beauty in the autumn of our lives, once we hit the winter of our lives, hopefully we'll be able to see the beauty with that as well.
1: Well, that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. Every season is beautiful, and winter white is gorgeous. Winter is as beautiful as summer. It's just beautiful in a different way.
0: Last question. You write so much in, you know, your various writings about grace. Our lives are like a pendulum. They're wonderful. They're tough. They're wonderful. They're tough. But how have you learned to stay in grace as much as possible?
1: Well, my life is no different than anyone else's. When I practice what I preach, it works, you know? Mm -hmm. And when something tempts me to anger, defensiveness, or any kind of irresponsibility, it doesn't work. And for me, because I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, uh, the practice of the course and the doing of the workbook exercises is the main way that I seek that peace within myself. But um, listen, we're all the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes
1: you're on track and sometimes you're off track. And when I am on track, I feel peaceful. And when I'm off track, I'm in pain. And that's uh, its just everybody. everybody has the same physical situation. If you exercise, it works. If you don't exercise, it doesn't. And I think with spiritual exercise, it's the same way. So um, if, if you're on a spiritual path, if you're on a serious spiritual path, minus the Course in Miracles, you know, if you seek to forgive and you seek to live in faith and you seek to be the most loving you can be, um, life is quite beautiful. and That's what I experience. And when I am tempted to deviate from that, I feel pain. No different than anybody else.
0: It's just like the physical self. It takes a discipline, you know, to to stay physically strong and beautiful and to stay spiritually strong and beautiful. Discipline is not easy.
1: I think living without that discipline is actually harder. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much today, best-selling author and internationally acclaimed lecturer and great spiritual friend. Well, you've been listening to the best of Vital Women Radio, some wisdom from Vital Women on the Inspiring Voice podcast. The Vital Women interviews were recorded between the years 2003 and 2009. They originally aired on Clear Channel Communication, and now they have a home right here. Inspiring Voice. It's the media outlet of iVoice Communication. The Inspiring Voice podcast is produced by Nicholas Young, music by Jeffrey Blake, and I am Donna Rustigian Mack. Please connect with us anytime at iVoice Communication if you'd like to become a more confident speaker and successful interpersonal communicator. You can contact us through iVoiceCommunication.com We'll leave you with this one. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice. So you can create those healthy human connections and build a rich, rewarding life and career.